Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. a nice saturday good saturday morning good time to record yep yep the sun's out it's almost yes. it's almost not the dead of winter anymore and tomorrow is palm sunday so that's like it is something it's sort of related yeah our local church because of the lockdown rules you have to have tickets to go to palm sunday mass yep that's how that's how my my church was too weirdly you do not need tickets for easter mm. just for palm sunday <laughs> <laughs> interesting yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway all right are you ready for some real violent shit oh yeah hit me with it let's go who are we doing uh so we are doing saint erasmus of formia erasmus erasmus yeah it's a good name um i will get to why i chose this person at the end uh it's been it's been a it's been a ride okay <laughs> It's been a whole ride. I tried to write up this script and uh, I was like, oh, this will be quick. Like, this should be this is like a simple story. Like, it's not that complicated. We're just going to get through it. It'll be great. And then I started writing it and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> great. Uh, I just got so confused that I'm like, I can't do this in the short amount of time I was hoping to be able to do this. So we're going to have to edit this. Okay. Well, if anyone listened to uh, Cyril and Methodius most recently, maybe maybe find a simpler one to intersperse in the middle. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So I have some sources, obviously. We've got the Wikipedia page for Erasmus of Formia. We've got uh, Britannica.com's um, sources on erasmus as well live science and also another britannica site for something else that i'm not going to give away right now uh we have um faithnd.edu which is actually another dame site which is really interesting uh catholic.org catholicsaints.info and indy indcatholicnews.com as well all for saint erasmus okay lots of stuff so saint erasmus of formia also called saint erasmus of gaeta is a saint and martyr, or possibly a martyr, he's definitely a saint, he might be a martyr, uh, from the 300s. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 300s. Killing it. Right off the bat, uh, we would usually go into whatever we know about this person's childhood, family, birth town, birth name, etc. Let me guess, we don't know any of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
So he was born and then he was an adult. Uh-huh. Yo, but I, I don't even know when he was born. We just start right off at, like, he's about to be a martyr kind of situation. <laughs> oh, that's not good. Yeah, so a lot of what I'm going to say is almost entirely speculation or exaggeration and possibly confusion. <laughs> okay. So it so we already have St. Erasmus of Gaeta or St. Erasmus of Formia. We're pretty sure those two people are the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, just different town names. But we also have a Syrian bishop named Erasmus of Antioch, who some historians are like, no, definitely a different person. Some historians are like, no, definitely the same person. So we have three St. Erasmuses of different places who might all be the same person. And I'll get into a little bit of why I th- I think personally they're all the same person. We'll do that a little later. Okay. But... Okay. So, if they're different people, we're talking about Formia. Yes. We're talking about Formia and Gaeta, because everybody's pretty sure that Gaeta and Formia are the same. It's just whether or not Antioch is also the same. Okay. Um, and... How are we spelling Gaeta? G-A-E-T-A. Okay. Also, my internet connection is unstable, so... I apologize. Yeah, mine is too. <laughs> so hit me up. You sound fine, but hit me up if I just like turn into a robot. <laughs> so you turn into a robot a little bit, but your video is okay. fine. Should I turn off my video? Yeah, sure. Since yeah, the sure. audio is more important. Okay. Yeah, let's try that. Okay. If anyone doesn't know, we're recording on two different continents. <laughs> so it's fun internet times here happening here. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, I'm going to do my best to illustrate what we think we know about Erasmus of Formia and why he might be the same as Antioch and at least try and explain why he's depicted the way he is and why he's the patrons of what he's the patrons of. So. Okay. Just a little, just take it all with a grain of salt because apparently historians get very riled up about this topic (laughs) so oh boy (laughs) bodes well (laughs) yeah so like i said we have no information on his birthday or childhood the first mention of him in all of the sources i found said that he was either a bishop or a monk of the town formia in italy sometime before 303 okay uh, Formia is a town that sits halfway between Rome and Naples on the historic Roman Appian Way. Oh, I've been there. Really? Yep. How fun. Yep. <laughs> so the Appian Way, for those who don't know and need some context, was one of the earliest and most strategically important long roads for the transport of Roman soldiers around the Roman Empire. Uh, it's also often referred to as the Queen of Long Roads, which I think is nice. Hmm. I bet it's not the queen of long roads anymore. No, I don't think so. But yeah. it was at the time yeah. in 303. <laughs> Highway 70 must have that crushed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, it was technically built in 312, uh, which is actually just after Erasmus is killed. Well, or at least probably killed. Might be killed. It depends on whether or not you consider him a martyr. Okay. Um, 
at least that we think he was killed in 303. So this is technically built in 312, but it's still probable since those are basically uh, such close in time. It's only yeah. what, nine years. Uh, yeah. It's probable that this region was still significant for travel of goods and soldiers. So Formia lying between Rome and Naples on what soon becomes a major road. It's likely a significant stopover town for those traveling okay. and likely had a lot of like trading going on. Yep. Also, as you can imagine, if there's a problem in Rome with civil unrest or any wars, uh, Formia may be directly affected. Hmm. Bummer for Formia. Uh-huh. So Formia isn't tucked out of the way somewhere, like in the corner of Italy. It's like right up in there near I Rome. I wonder if they had a hard time when Mount Vesuvius blew up, too. I don't know. It probably got really dark and cold. I have pretty much no concept of where Vesuvius is in relation to pretty much anything in Italy. Well, it's in so. Naples. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah, so they probably yeah. had a bad time. Yeah. Not as bad as Pompeii, but not great, probably. Right. Dark, dark at least. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, Formia's in the thick of things, um, and Erasmus, I'm gonna say that he was a bishop, that's kind of how I refer to him, and what makes most sense to me. So he was probably a, at least somebody high, relatively high power in the relatively new christian church in a town okay. pretty close to rome at a time when rome is not yet christian christian yes. right okay so speaking of the thick of things <laughs> at this time a relatively new roman emperor had just taken power uh roman emperor diocletian was emperor from 284 to 305 uh which was likely in the lifetime of erasmus mm-hmm he, uh, Diocletian specifically, was born to a low-status family, but through his life rose through the Roman cavalry ranks until he was a major commander of the previous emperor, Carus's army. When Carus died, Diocletian was appointed the next emperor, but had to also fight one of Carus's sons to maintain power, which hmm. Diocletian definitely won and definitely maintained power. <laughs> um, okay. As emperor, Diocletian did a bunch of stuff, um, and I swear this is related. We'll get there. First off, Diocletian started delegating power to others. Uh, so the first one was Maximian, who is also now known as Augustus. Unclear on if that's the Augustus we think of. Not sure. Um, so Maximian was like co-emperor, basically. Um, and then... Diocletian and Maximian delegated land to two more sub-co-emperors that mm. they called Caesars, uh, which were Galerius and Constantius. Uh, so with this setup, the four rulers each took care of a quarter of the empire. And Seems in, like a terrible plan. Uh, it actually worked out uh, okay, at least. Um, mm. So under Diocletian and Maximian were still, like, they were more powerful than the other two. And it seemed that everybody kind of still just referred back to Diocletian. Um, hmm. So he seemed pretty, he seemed to know what he was doing, I guess. But it definitely could have gone very wrong. Um, with this setup, the four rulers have the four quarters of their empire. But they also, basically this means that they stabilize the Roman Empire. So they removed a bunch of usurpers in Egypt um, and other rebellions and invasions, ultimately ending the crisis of the third century, uh, which was basically just a period of time where the Roman empire almost fell and completely disintegrated from hmm. everything from rebellions to invasions, to migrations, to economic instability, plague, etc., etc. So a crisis. 
Yeah, like a real bad crisis, like a real crisis. <laughs> okay. So never heard of that. Uh huh. Apparent. So overall, Diocletian basically saves the entire Roman Empire from collapse. Hmm. But and so well, okay. So he does a lot of really impressive things with like, like really impressive like economic decisions and like actual leadery decisions to save the Roman Empire. Um, mm-hmm. Which a lot of people apparently study nowadays. But one of the less favorable things he did, and ultimately was one of his greatest failures, was the Diocletianic persecution of Christianity from 303 to 312. Oh boy. Um, it is considered the empire's last and bloodiest persecution of Christianity uh, and the largest failure of it. Uh, after all, only a few years later, in 324, Christianity becomes the empire's preferred religion under Constantine. Rough. <laughs> so 303 to 312, uh, they're trying to trying to get rid of Christians, and then 12 years after the end of that, Christianity is their preferred religion. <laughs> uh, so it did, it. it did not work. Um, yeah. So basically, this persecution was forcing residents to adhere to traditional religious practices and required blood and life sacrifices to the traditional gods, which is obviously against the tenets of Christianity. Uh, this meant that sacrifices were required and those who did not participate were imprisoned or executed. How do you force someone to participate in a sacrifice? Uh, we'll get to that. They, okay. they, basically, they did not really. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it so, seems like, couldn't you just go and like pretend to watch i feel like that'd be very easy to fake yeah i think i think they just i think well we'll get into it but okay yeah we'll just get into it it's they just didn't really try that hard it appears so okay uh yeah so during his reign diocletian removed all christians from his armies and surrounded himself with advisors who were also against christianity he also removed many of the rights of these citizens by confiscating property and completely removing their right to hold property and during this time, historians think that many individual Christians, like just civilians, weren't mm-hmm. really affected. Uh, so they just really weren't trying that hard. Uh, okay. But churches and Christian organizations began to split. Uh, so many churches split into those who remained pure to Christian faith and refused to recognize the false idols, and those who were, quote, traitors who decided to comply with the empire's decrees. Hmm. it's rough it's not a great way to build like camaraderie no no it's definitely more like splitting at like higher ranks in -hmm. christianity rather than really affecting the real people okay so today there is a lot of disagreement on whether over time the stories of the persecutions that did happen were exaggerated or not uh so some people think that much of the violence depicted in the stories of this last persecution were extremely exaggerated, while others think that there might be some basis for the events because it was a violent time period overall. Um, Mm -hmm. And Maximian specifically was considered one of the most violent uh, emperors kind of for the time. So Mm -hmm. he's the he's the side dude, right? Uh Uh-huh. He's one of the co-emperors. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it seems like, yeah, like it was violent. They were doing some of these practices, so they might have been based on something or Christianity just really like played it up. Um, we don't really know. Okay. But what does this have to do with Erasmus? Well, as you might have figured out, 
we think Erasmus died in 303. Christian prosecutions also start in 303. So <laughs> while he was alive, when all this was kind of kicking off, uh, he's pretty close to Rome, and he's also supposedly a bishop or an archbishop or a monk or something. So he's a leader of Christianity at a time when that would have made him a target for Diocletian and Maximian and others who wanted to force Christianity back to the old Roman gods. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, pretty much all of my sources said that there is little to no evidence that the story that I am about to tell you, which is also called uh, Erasmus's Passion, actually happened the way it was written or happened at all. Oh, no. <laughs> so... This, I will talk about this a little bit later, but when I was reading that, I was like, oh, so we don't really have great evidence that this man existed. It sounds like there is evidence that he existed. They just don't know that this happened. Yeah. So that's, I'm going to kind of get into that. So I, when I first read it, I was like, okay, so did he exist at all? Like, did any of this happen? Why is he still considered a saint in our modern canon? Mm -hmm. um, and we just like looked it up and... He is still part of the modern canon, so I guess because of the importance of him to certain areas and just because of how old his story is and how long it's been in like the Catholic canon, I think that's part of why he's been maintained, even though the like why he's important in the historical Catholic canon might not be true at all, maybe, which is basically the story. Maybe it's like, maybe this specific person didn't happen, but this kind of thing happened to a lot of people right. and we need like someone to carry yeah. that yeah i think that's definitely part of it because he's he's like the representative of this yeah. last persecution so i think that's definitely part of it and he is a martyr or he's considered a martyr by some so yeah yeah that could it's be complicated but i will i'm gonna tell the story of why he's why he's called a martyr and i will tell you the story of of how he's not a martyr um, and why he's depicted the way he is and why he's the patron of what he's a patron okay, of. Okay, let's okay. do it. Grain of salt. A, a big large, old large grain, of, grain salt. of salt. Like a, a large rock of salt. Like a lamp. <laughs> um, yeah, salt lamp. Yeah. Okay, take a salt lamp. Hold on to it for this. Um, so his passion goes like this. While he was a bishop at Formia, the persecutions of Diocletian began... And he decided he either decided to leave or he was pushed to leave the town. And he went to Mount Libanus, where he hid for seven years. During this time, some stories say that a crow was sent to him and the crow would bring him like food and resources. Convenient. Uh, I know. It's a nice crow. Crows do that, though, don't uh, they? They bring, they yeah, bring they people do, stuff. They do. Yeah. Like little trinkets. Yeah. And things. yeah. So it's kind of nice. Um also during this time supposedly the archangel michael was said to appear to him and eventually convinced him to go back to his city and his people hmm. so at this point erasmus does and he starts walking back to formia on his way <laughs> he runs into roman soldiers oh dear. who uh-huh who question him and he immediately admits that he's christian and so they take him to antioch where he is again questioned by Diocletian himself and is tortured and thrown in prison. I'm learning from this that Antioch might not be where I thought Antioch was. Mm -hmm. Is Antioch in Italy? I don't really know. <laughs> Do you I want thought, to look it up? I thought Antioch was in, like, Turkey or something. I will look it it's up. It's possible. I mean, he was collected by soldiers at this point. So if Diocletian was in Antioch, they might have just actually taken him to Antioch. 
Yes. Even if it was really far away. Antioch is in Greece. Or not Greece, Turkey. It's on... It's like... Uh, okay it was a it was a greek city but it's in Mm -hmm. what's now turkey right yeah yeah so that makes sense because if he was perceived as being a powerful person in the christian church they might take him to the the emperor right yeah i guess okay yeah okay so it seemed like he's he's picked up by soldiers he admits he's christian they probably find out that he's either a bishop or just a high-ranking member of the christian church in formia and because Formia is also so close to Rome, they might have thought, well, this is a big enough threat that we should just take him to Diocletian. Okay. Sure. All right. I buy yeah. it. I mean, this is the, again, <laughs> rock salt lamp. Right. <laughs> rock salt lamp. Okay. So they take him to Antioch, where he's again, so he's questioned by Diocletian himself, tortured, thrown in prison. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. In prison. Another angel appears, may or may not have been Michael, and helps him escape. Convenient. Uh, uh Uh-huh. He starts walking again, ends up in the town of Lycia, where somehow he becomes the mentor or father figure of a wealthy kid, Mm. and this results in the kid's baptism and subsequently basically a mass baptism of a bunch of citizens in Lycia. There was, like, no details about this, and I was like, what? (laughs) So, I don't know. So he's just traveling around, probably preaching, and I guess people were like, hey, you're pretty cool. Even though it's super illegal to be Christian right now, we're going to get everybody baptized. Hmm. So, okay. uh, he must have done something super. Maybe he, like, saved the kid or something. He must have done something big. Otherwise, I don't know why. Yeah, everybody would be like, hell yeah. Yeah, it's a big, big swing. Uh-huh. So, obviously, this caught the attention of the authorities. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the other emperor, Maximian, mm-hmm. um, who is, again, co-emperor to Diocletian at this point. Yep. Uh, Maximian is not happy and orders Erasmus arrested. He was, and Erasmus keeps proclaiming the Christian faith, even as they try to torture him to stop. Eventually, they force him to walk into one of the old god temples uh, to force him to observe the idols, basically. Mm -hmm. And as they walk through, all of the idols fell from their stands and shelves and pedestals, and some were broken. Oh, that's scary. Then, when they left the temple, a big ol' fire emerged and started consuming nearby pagans. Oh, no. (laughs) That seems unfair. Really dramatic. (laughs) Like random bystanders. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so this made Maximian even more mad. And so ensued a series of tortures that Maximian ordered to try and kill Erasmus. Uh, that, again, content, well, both content warning and big ol' rock salt lamp uh, may or may not have happened. But they were, like, these tortures are historically accurate. So... It's possible. It's, yeah, it's not out of the question that they would have done this uh but it's a question of whether or not this actually occurred in erasmus's story so first maximian uh ordered erasmus put into a barrel full of spikes and rolled down a hill Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh he apparently emerged and an angel healed him of his wounds after i after this i guess he just walked away and escaped again (laughs) because then yeah i guess they just like rolled him down the hill and assumed he would die but he didn't and then an huh. angel healed him, so then he just, like, 
left. Uh, I hate to train these soldiers better. I know. <laughs> uh, so, because then the next thing is just that he was later recaptured, brought back to Maximian, where he was beaten, whipped, and coated in pitch and set on fire. Hmm. He still survived this, presumably with Angel's intercessions again. Uh, so they put him in prison with the intent of letting him starve to death. Okay. Here, another angel has said to have helped him escape again. Angels are really oh yeah, really they're on all top up of it. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have much else to do, I guess. Apparently uh, not. <laughs> uh, so he then went about and continued to preach openly and converted a bunch more pagans to Christianity, which again got the attention of the emperors. Uh, so he was captured again. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, it's estimated to be about three o three. Uh, so right at the start of the, pers- the, the like real persecution of Christians. But here, uh, again, content warning. He had his nails, he had nails oh. hammered into his fingers, between his fingernails and his fingers. No! Uh, he was burned with hot irons, sprinkled with burning oil, placed into an oven, and possibly disemboweled while alive with his intestines wrapped around a windlass, which is a kind of spike hook used by sailors. Yeah. Is yeah. an angel going to fix this one? Um no. <laughs> no. Okay. So, here we've come across another issue with historical accuracies. So, in some cases, it said that he was tortured. This last bit of torturing is when he was martyred. So, with the okay. whole intestine thing, he eventually dies and that is his martyrdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some sources, including some of the Catholic ones and some of the Orthodox Christian ones, said that fearing revolt, Maximian retreated to his chambers, allowing the angel Michael to once again free Erasmus. Um, this allowed Erasmus to return to Formia, where in this version, he lives out his days in peace. I.e. not becoming a martyr. Hmm, that doesn't seem likely. Uh, no, it does not. <laughs> but... So that is the interesting thing. So it it depends on what source you read. Some sources say, oh, he was definitely a martyr. This is what happened. Some say he was, they're like, well, we don't really know, but he might have been a martyr. This is what happened. But he might have just also lived fine. And some say, no, he definitely wasn't a martyr. People erroneously say he was, and this is what happened in that story. But really, he lived out his days in peace. So that does kind of sound like it might just be two different people. Maybe, possibly, there's some more, though. So, okay. the Catholic Church lists him as a martyr. Yep. Uh, Orthodox, I guess, doesn't. And even some okay. Catholic sites don't. So, hmm. unclear. Generally okay. accepted as a martyr, though. We'll get into a little bit of that later, too. So, supposedly he died in 303, uh, which is in line with the Christian persecution, so it's not out of the question. That does right. make sense. Yep. Um. And the torture also does make sense for the time, although the torture might have been exaggerated over time. Mm-hmm. Also definitely possible. It's or definitely a possible. of lots of people again. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or, like, yeah, they just, like, he was just killed immediately, and then people made up this big old passion for him, basically. Yeah. Um, so all of his escapes and all of his healings are considered miracles. He is also have said to have baptized 10,000 men in Lycia. Which is That's a where lot. that kid was, yeah. Yeah. So it's he he's apparently a very good preacher and also has a bunch of miracles happening to him. 
So the Orthodox Church says that his relics were buried with honor. Um, eventually. After he lived out his days. Yes. Okay. So, and then, so the Orthodox Church says his relics were buried with honor and also the Catholic Church sort of. So according to Pope Gregory I, who was Pope from 590 to 604, so almost 300 years later, uh, according to Pope Gregory, Erasmus's relics were kept in the Basilica in Formia until that basilica was raised by Sarsens in 842. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was dug up and then moved to the Basilica in Gaeta. So okay. both the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church say he's also a patron saint of Gaeta, Italy, and that's supposedly where his relics are, whether okay. or not he was a martyr. Okay. Sure, so, he can have Gaeta, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and that is why he's also called Erasmus of Gaeta. Okay. So wait, is there a reason they took him specifically to Gaeta, or is that just where they took him? I think that might have been one of the- got destroyed places he was i think it's just nearby maybe so, he was born there or something maybe it's unclear why gaeta specifically but that's why he's gaeta now supposedly okay. his relics are there okay um i hope they don't call me victoria of the place i die in that's unfortunate or the place i'm buried in well mm. sorry <laughs> victoria of outer space mm. do they bury people in space i think you can ship ashes to space yeah Oh, okay. Maybe I'll go that route then. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> we'll take note. Uh, so, it's important to note, like I said, there's a lot of confusion about who St. Erasmus was or wasn't. Some historians think Erasmus of Antioch, completely different person, who was a Syrian archbishop who was also persecuted and led to Formia by an angel. Hmm. So they think that he started in turkey syria and went to italy instead of starting in italy and going to turkey syria yes so mm. others think erasmus of formia and gaeta and antioch are all the same person um which i actually think is most likely because all so formia and gaeta are basically the same person pretty sure because yep. gaeta only came in when they moved his his relics probably right uh, so formia and antioch i think are the same person because they include the exact same towns yeah like, it just sounds like a mix-up. Like, it sounds like, okay, the people who named Erasmus of Formia were the people of Formia. And the people mm-hmm. of Antioch named Erasmus of Antioch because they heard his story when he came to Antioch. Yeah. And they stuck with that, but they include the same thing. Like, the people of Antioch knew that Erasmus left to go to back to Formia. So yeah, it is like a random, like, why would he go to Formia specifically and right. not Rome Unless he had come else. from there in the first place. Yeah. 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 So it sounds most likely to me that these are the same people. Yeah, especially if they're alive at the same time. Yeah, which supposedly they were. So, uh, yeah. we And we just looked it up, and Antioch may not be still in the modern canon. He might have been removed because of this historical situation of him possibly being a repeat with Erasmus yeah. of Formia. So I think they're probably the same people. It's just that different groups of people naming the same person that yeah. they experienced and because they're so far away from like formia and antioch are so far away from each other that i can see how those persisted as different yeah, and no one caught on earlier yeah, that those for the a long person. time yeah. yeah yeah i can see how that happened yeah okay so it's then suggested that all of the torture and disembowelment stuff is an addition to the legend to exaggerate how bad the roman christian prosecution was mm-hmm. so yeah yeah maybe 
little bit unclear. So, <laughs> who is St. Erasmus today? Why did I choose this random, maybe existed, maybe didn't saint? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so he's generally, I'm going to see if you can catch on. I don't think you can, but you might. So he's generally the patron saint of sailors, uh, because in one instance, he kept preaching even when a lightning bolt st- struck the ground next to him. So what does that cool. have to do with sailors? Uh, sailors are afraid of storms. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just generally storm related. So sailors are like, yeah. Okay. Um, this led sailors to take his name when praying during storms. Mm-hmm. Related to this. A bastardization of the name Erasmus has led to St. Erasmus of Formia to also be known as St. Elmo. Oh. Mm, yes. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So I have almost no other information on exactly how Erasmus was bastardized to Elmo, but that's just what everybody said. So this St. Elmo is St. Erasmus of Formia. Like, that's just accepted. Isn't St. Elmo's fire like a weird lightning thing? Yeah, so some of you may know St. Elmo in the context of St. Elmo's fire, which is an electrical phenomena that occurs at the tip of long masts, buildings, telephone poles, etc. Pretty much anything pointy, um, mm. which is a scientific term that I got from Wikipedia. Pointy. Okay. <laughs> anything pointy <laughs> during thunderstorms. Okay. Uh, so it's an electrical phenomena, just like lightning or the northern lights. Uh, the process is basically... Uh, static electricity builds up in storms that usually creates lightning uh, but when you have a pointy object passing through these areas of high static the extra friction heats the gas in the air up enough that it turns to plasma around that point um, hmm. this plasma like fire like the plasma that is in fire and lightning is visible as a greenish blue glow around these points um and it still happens today around plane wings, ship masts, etc. Like, it's just a phenomena yeah. we know about. Yeah. Um, and this effect was recorded as far back as the Greeks and Romans. And originally, it was seen as a visitation from the demigod twins Castor and Pollux. So it actually makes sense that if there was a shift from old gods to the new gods, and... Yeah, they would, like, assign it to a new person. Uh-huh. And the new person would be a person associated with lightning. <laughs> Hmm. So, uh, it makes sense that Erasmus was shifted to be the the saint who was visiting you when you saw St. Elmo's fire on your ships, basically. Interesting. So, that's pretty cool. So, I was like, who the hell is St. Elmo? <laughs> and it's this guy, who may or may not have existed. Have you been downtown lately or something? Yeah, it's because I was driving back, and I was saying a bunch yeah. of things for... <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. So, along with the issue of whether or not he was martyred at all, many martyrs are depicted holding the item that killed them. Uh, So, for a long time, Mm -hmm. it's been assumed that the windlass uh, that he holds in a lot of the imagery of him was part of his martyrdom story. But some say that it's only there because of his association with sailors. Mm -hmm. So, it's possible that he wasn't a martyr. But he was associated with sailors because of the lightning thing. Right. So they started depicting him holding a windlass. And then somebody was like, oh, I guess the wind, I guess he's a martyr and he- the windlass is part of his story. So they made up the story that he was disemboweled and his right. intestines were wrapped around a windlass. Uh, so hmm. some, if you look up St. Erasmus, there's many depict like old predict- uh, depictions of him holding a windlass with his intestines wrapped around it. That's gross. So 
it's been a story for a very long time. Uh, so it's really unclear if it's just actually true or not. We just really don't know if it is. Hmm. It's, it's unfortunate that it is like equally plausible in both directions. It is. It's really, it's unfortunate because yeah. you just, there's just nowhere else to go. Like you yeah. can't go to history because both are plausible in history. Yeah. So this yeah. picture of him with the, his intestines wrapped around the thing is gross. And it looks like he is carrying a large kebab like you'd get in the window of a restaurant. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's really odd he's also sometimes depicted just like laying on a slab like being tortured yep i got that one too Uh uh-huh uh but yeah if you just go just go look up saint erasmus of fermia and you'll see it it's really odd and you're just kind of like oh (laughs) (laughs) i see um so his feast day is currently june 2nd Mm -hmm. uh and he is also a member of the 14 holy helpers which is a great name which are 14 saints that are venerated together, often because their intercession is seen as especially helpful for each of their associated diseases. Okay. I got into a little, another little rabbit hole here. Uh, this list is thought to have originated in the 14th century in Rhineland as defense against or result of the bubonic plague at the time. Rhineland, for anybody who doesn't know, is loosely the area of now Western Germany along the Rhine River. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 14 include St. Actius, uh, for headaches, St. Barbara for fever and sudden death, St. <laughs> it's good. Got a lot of St. Blaise, uh, for ills of the throat, St. Catherine of Alexandria for also sudden death, St. Christopher for plagues and sudden death, um, St. Syriacus or just Syriac. Uh, for temptations, St. Dennis or Dionysus for headaches, St. Erasmus or Elmo for abdominal maladies, St. Eustachius or Eustace for family trouble, St. George for protection of domestic animals. That's because the plague also affected animals. Uh, St. Giles mm-hmm. for plagues and good confessions, St. Margaret of Antioch for safe childbirth, St. Pentelion for physicians, and St. Vitus for epilepsy i would like to know how you're supposed to ask for help in intercession for sudden death uh it's it's uh a lot so i actually found a lot of the um devotions for this group because they they're there are some really old ones which i'm going to read you one soon um but a lot of the devotions are like praying for a like peaceful and like a peaceful normal death Uh instead of being like taken before you should be kind of thing gotcha yeah um so a lot of a lot of these these so these 14 saints kind of also resolve revolves around the three virgin martyrs that are part of this devotion and i found a really good it sounds cooler in german or whatever rhineland was speaking at the time germanic but i can't read that so i'm going to read you the english one but um, part of the devotion reads St. Margaret with the dragon, St. Barbara with the tower, and St. Catherine with the wheel. Those are the three holy maids. Mm-hmm. And it's just delightful. But that's why I got confused with these 14 holy helpers, because St. Margaret with the dragon is no longer a saint in our modern canon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because she's the one who supposedly cut herself out of a dragon with the cross that she wore around her neck. Yes. Obviously, dragons don't exist. I think we've mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. Um so, but I, so I looked into it and 
the Catholic Church still does recognize most of the 14 Holy Helpers. You can still pray to them, I believe, and they do have a collective feast day, I think. After the 60s, all change of all that stuff, um, a couple of them were removed. And then Pope John Paul II, I think in 2004, added those ones that had been removed back because of their local importance to some people. Wait, so that, does that mean that she is a saint again then? I don't think so. No, so I think St. Mark has just been removed. I think okay. she's just not anymore. I think it was like, it was three of the, I think it was three of the others. I think it might have been like Catherine and Christopher and one okay. other one. I can't remember. Uh, that were removed and then like kind of put back in. But in terms of St. Elmo, St. Erasmus, he is just definitely still a saint, even though his story is still a little sketch. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> another fun fact. Another fun fact, the 14 angels of the Lost Children's Prayer and Engelbert Humperdinck's fairy opera, Hansel and Gretel, are the 14 holy helpers. So the English words of that opera say, when at night I go to sleep, 14 angels watch do keep, to my head are guarding, to my feet are guiding, two upon my right hand, two upon my left hand, two who warmly cover, two who o'er me hover, Two to whom tis given to guide my steps to heaven. That's from Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So Lost Children's Prayer from Hansel and Gretel. And it that just comes back to the fact that these 14 holy helpers originated in Germany uh, as a collection during mm-hmm. the plague because everybody was like, oh, no. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> the plague is so bad. Can we pray to literally anyone? <laughs> I wonder why they chose these people. Um, so the sources I found were also calling them auxiliary saints. Like in the in in Germany at the time, mm-hmm. they were considered auxiliary saints. So I'm wondering if this was kind of before we had solidified like anybody with miracles being a saint, yeah, and that they were only calling saints like Saint Joseph and like Mary saints, and so these were like quote auxiliary because they weren't directly related to uh jesus's story i'm not sure though i don't know why they were calling them auxiliary saints. i just googled auxiliary saints and it's specifically these 14 are the auxiliary saints yeah and i don't i don't know why so auxiliary saints doesn't mean anything i not guess really. it's just another th- yeah. i don't know I, I think it it must be related to how they picked these 14 at the time but i just don't yeah. know exactly how um so overall St. Elmo is the patron saint of a big long list. He's the patron saint of abdominal pains, appendicitis, birth pains, childhood intestinal disease, colic, danger at sea, intestinal disorders, seasickness, stomach diseases, storms, ammunition workers, boatmen, childbirth, explosive workers, Gaeta, Italy, mariners, navigators, ordnance workers, sailors, watermen and women in labor why is he the patron saint of all these childbirth things shouldn't a woman be patron saint of that um it's literally just the intestine situation hmm. i guess old-timey people didn't know that your intestines have nothing to do with childbirth right so it's just like anything stomach related mm-hmm. stomach pain related because of the whole intestine thing mm-hmm. uh they were just like yeah it's him Hmm. So I don't know why ammunition workers and ordnance workers. I don't know where that comes in. That must be from one of the wars and boats. Yeah, it must be related to boats. Like through the I'm Navy or somehow. 
Yeah. I'm surprised that somebody who doesn't seem like he really had that much to do with ships is the one for sailing, too, though. I think, well, a lot of people are for sailing. Yeah, I guess. Like, a lot of these patronages get repeated. But he seems to be the OG. Because, like, Elmo's Fire was named after him. Yeah. So, uh, he's just one of the oldest saints, I think, that has, like, a real patronages attached to him from the beginning. Yeah. And I think those have just stuck. So. Hmm. When we're done with this, I'm going to look up videos of St. Elmo's Fire. Okay. Okay. I think everybody should. So, yeah. Um, so these 14 holy helpers, uh, some of them may or may not, like, we'll probably do some more of these people because some of them sound interesting. Um, so some of them may or may not still be saints. They are still venerated as a group, I'm pretty sure. Uh, St. Erasmus or St. Elmo is still recognized as a saint. Um, I know at least like Blaze. So I know a lot of churches in, in the U.S. at least, uh, venerate Blaze on his feast day with, uh, like throat blessings. Like I know we did that growing up. It's my birthday. Um, hmm? it's my birthday. His saint, his feast day is my oh, birthday. Really? Yep. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> Never going to have a throat disease. Nope. <laughs> I wonder what happened to him that made him the patron saint of the I don't know, something bad, probably. <laughs> probably not good. But yeah, so, a uh, big old grain of salt, but it's at least interesting, and now you know where, like, St. Elmo comes from. Yeah, and St. Elmo's Fire, and why anybody cares, and it seems that there were a couple of Erasmuses, or they were all the same person. Or they're just a big conglomeration of a lot of other stories put together. I wonder if the people who named Elmo from Sesame Street knew this when they named him that. I don't know. I doubt it. I also, I would be, be really interested in, like, how linguistically people actually got from Erasmus to Elmo. It is quite a jump. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't really find anything on it. People were just like, oh, yeah. Elmo is is. I mean, one. it has been it's like what seventeen hundred years, which is a long time. It is a very long time. So I feel like El- Elmo must have come in much. It probably was like Ermo for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then it got changed to Elmo. Yeah, you drop drop the S. Erasmo. Erasmo. Eramo. Ermo. Elmo. Elmo. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It has been a long time. Things happen. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's fun. So, yeah. I don't know that I ever really thought about St. Elmo's Fire as any a, a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I I knew it must be named after somebody, but I kind of assumed that there was a St. Elmo somewhere. But there's not. It's St. Erasmus. So. Hmm. Cool. Well, now I know. If I ever see this extremely rare lightning phenomenon, I will know. Yeah. I do go on a lot of planes, though, so maybe I'll see it on a plane. Yeah, you should look for it. Although I suppose they don't usually fly through storms if they can avoid it. Uh, no, they don't. Yeah, they usually go around. I can imagine (laughs) that having plasma on your wings is is not good. Yeah, (laughs) no way that's good. Yeah. Alrighty, well thanks guys for listening. Yep, thank you, and we will see you in a couple of weeks.